Hi, I'm Jonathan Edwards, and I want to welcome you to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My goal in this podcast is to teach the truth of the Word of God and apply it to our lives that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed. Well, good afternoon. It's March 24th, 2020. It's been nearly three weeks since I had the opportunity to release a podcast episode. Um, Since I last released a podcast episode, we have uh, been quarantined by our government. And we've been asked to stay indoors so that we can stop the spread of the novel coronavirus. Uh, It was about 10 days ago that many of our sports leagues in the United States decided to voluntarily cancel their seasons. Uh, My children were sent home from school and they were uh, given opportunities to do online instruction for the rest of the school year, or at least the next three weeks, which I think will turn into the rest of the school year. American life as we know it has pretty much ground to a halt. In the last uh, 10 to 12 days, the stock market lost 30% of its value. It has been a very, very difficult and trying time in America. And let's not be ethnocentric. It's been a trying time all the way around the world. Probably the country that's been hardest hit by the novel coronavirus is the country of Italy, where they have experienced an overtaxing of the healthcare system, and they have been had to make uh, they have been forced to make very difficult decisions such as, you know, who gets a ventilator, who gets treatment. And the latest reports that I was hearing indicated that people who are over 60 were being turned away from the hospital saying, you know, uh, we're going to focus our efforts on somebody who's younger, who's going to be around longer than you. Boy, what a sad, sad situation. And as Christians, we watch the news and we look at the events that are happening in the world and we know intellectually that God is sovereign and God is in control. We know that. And yet it's hard to feel peace in the midst of a crisis such as this because all the things that we think about all the things that we plan for, all the things that are part of our makeup that come from the culture or come from our our way of life or how we were raised, all of those things are challenged and questioned and put into a perspective that is vastly different than anything that we've ever been confronted with our entire lives. What do I mean by that? Well, let's just take Western culture, for example especially in America. We are a self-made culture. We value those who work hard, who create their own destiny, who make their own destiny. We value the opportunity that we have to control our future and our present here in the United States of America. We celebrate the fact that we are self-reliant, that we don't need anybody else's help, that we can do things all on our own. We celebrate the fact that we're individuals and we love our autonomy 
And we love the feeling of self-actualization when everything in our life is going well and we have created the perfect circumstances for ourselves. And life is like easy, it's joyful, it's fun. That's, that's America. America is so rich and so blessed and so powerful. And we've been able to basically have all kinds of wonderful things that we look for things to do to fill our time. We work, but we have many hobbies. We have amusement parks. We uh, have a lot of disposable income and time because of the efficiencies that we've invented for ourselves due to technology. And here comes a little virus, a microscopic organism, and it upsets the entire balance of everything that we have put forth in our culture. It has really challenged our value system as a culture. Self-made, independent, do what I want. Now we're having to do what we're told. And the government, thankfully, at least the federal government, is making strong recommendations, not a um, unilateral demand. Some states and localities, um, major cities, for example, are making unilateral demands that people avoid contact with other people by staying in their homes or their dwelling places. These are uncertain times. These are difficult times. And obviously the order, the patterns of life that we all have cultivated for many years have been upset in the course of just a few days. And so all of us have spent a great deal of time scrambling around, learning a new way of life, learning new language and vocabulary to describe the situation that we're in and the steps that we're taking to overcome it. As a result of this, I think there are many questions that come into the mind of the believer. There are many thoughts that just run through your mind, and if you're like me, I've just found there to be so many things racing through my mind, truths, and it's hard to, you know, they're truths. You know that they're true, but it's hard to know which truths to bring out or which truths to emphasize during this particular crisis. You know, do we want to emphasize the truth that this is God's judgment upon the entire world? Certainly. I mean, that we could emphasize that. Is that the most helpful truth for me at this present time to deal with this crisis and to guide my family? I'm not sure. I'm not even 100% sure that this is God's actual judgment. We, we don't know that. It's too early to tell. So there's one thing that's racing around my mind, probably racing around your mind, and we need to ask ourselves, is this the truth that I want to focus on right now? God's judgment. How about this? Is this how God's going to initiate the rise of the Antichrist, who will unite the world in a one-world government? Is this how God will do it? Perhaps. I don't know. That's a truth. We believe uh, because we are literal and grammatical and historical in our interpretation of the biblical text, we believe that there will be a figure who appears on the world scene 
and he will somehow unite the entire world together for a common cause. Will this be the, is this the beginning of that? I don't know. I don't know. And therefore, I'm not sure that this truth is the truth that we ought to be dwelling on. Certainly, it can cross our minds, but we can't see the end of this. We don't know what God's ultimate purpose is, and so we need to refrain from doing uh, newspaper headline prophecy. And by that, I mean saying, well, this event right here is a fulfillment directly of this verse of Scripture or this prophecy in Scripture. We can't do that. That's not profitable. It's not helpful for us as believers in the present age in which we live. There are other things that we are questioning. And I find myself just going around and around with some of them. But mostly there's two things that really have reverberated in my mind that I think are important to share with you and I think are comforting and provide stability for the present. The first one I think is rather obvious, and I've seen it in many articles and commentary sections and Twitter posts and other stuff like that, Facebook posts, and that is that God's in sovereign control, or God has sovereign control over his creation. God is not taken by surprise at the fact that we have this virus, this microscopic organism that is wreaking havoc in the entire world. God is not taken by surprise. One of the great and comforting truths of the scriptures is that God knows the end from the beginning. And so when, when we come upon something like this, we're not to be frightened. It's hard not to be frightened, but we're not to be frightened. Why? Because God knows what is going to happen. And here's the coordinating truth for the believer. If God knows what is going to happen, and God has brought this about, then God wants you to be sanctified through this particular experience. So when we, as believers, especially in America, we, we talk about, you know, James chapter 1, verses you know, 2 through 4, about considering it all joy when we experience various trials. When we think about that verse as believers, um, you know, there, there's, there's not a lot of like major trials that we experience. I mean, there are major trials that we experience. I'm, I'm not trying to minimize that. Uh, but when I read about the persecuted church in the world, we're not facing that kind of external trials on a regular basis like our brothers and sisters around the world. But this is an external trial. It's not brought about by our own, whatever, disobedience or um, negligence or anything like that. And, and I'm not trying to say that every trial is brought about by disobedience or negligence. I think many trials uh, come about because, first of all, God is sovereign and he brings them into our lives. And secondly, they are used by God to cause us to rely on Jesus and not our own strength. And this is no exception to that. So here we have hand in hand this idea of God's sovereignty, God's control over the entire creation, God's control over the biggest of details and the smallest of details. And then my response 
to God's sovereignty, my response to God's control over everything. And when God decides that it's time to bring a trial into my life, do I allow that to be a sanctifying effect or do I allow it to be a a hardening effect? And even as Christians, I've seen Christians be hardened by trials and to become even bitter at God. That That's not how we ought to be. In fact, I think that's one of the reasons that James had to write the epistle that he wrote. Christians were being embittered against God. And so we should consider it joy that we get to experience a trial of this magnitude and of this scale. One of the great stories in the Bible to describe the sovereign power of God is the story of King Nebuchadnezzar's uh, humbling that occurred in Daniel chapter 4. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to summarize to you that King Nebuchadnezzar had a vision and a dream, and Daniel interpreted that vision and dream, and Daniel's encouragement to Nebuchadnezzar was to repent Repent, King Nebuchadnezzar, of your pride, for otherwise God will bring you low and humble you greatly. Nebuchadnezzar, of course, did not repent, and he considered one day that he was the one who built all of Babylon. He was the one who brought Babylon into greatness and to be the greatest world power at that particular juncture in history. At the very moment, God decided to humble King Nebuchadnezzar. And he made him. He made Nebuchadnezzar to be like a beast of the field. Somebody who, somebody who wandered in the fields for seven years. And Nebuchadnezzar lost his sovereignty. He lost his control. I love how the text puts it here at the end of Daniel chapter 4. While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you, and you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. And the next verse says, immediately, the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven. And this, hap- this lasted for seven long years. Now note the end of the seven-year period. At the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But he does, according to his will, in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What have you done? As it relates to the current coronavirus pandemic, no one can say to God, what have you done? What God wanted to do this. 
God brought it about in his sovereignty for his purposes. And we don't understand what those are, and we may never understand what those are. But we as believers should be people who look to God and say, God, thank you for bringing this about. Thank you because it is a reminder to me that I'm not in control, that though it may seem like everything is going fine and life is grand and I have a a lot of things going for me, it can all be taken away in an instant. We, as believers, ought to be extolling the sovereignty of God. Another passage from the life of Jesus describes a very similar situation where Jesus was in the boat with his disciples and a storm came up. This is from Mark chapter 4. And in this particular chapter, Jesus and the disciples were out on the boat and the waves were breaking over the boat. And you got to remember, the disciples were fishermen. They understood, not all of them, but some of them were fishermen. They understood the sea. They understood nature. They understood the area where they were going. And they themselves were terrified that they were going to be destroyed by this storm. And Jesus, the text says, Mark chapter 4, verse 38, was in the stern of the boat, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him up and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are perishing? Of course Jesus cares. Of course God cares. But to demonstrate his power, to demonstrate his control over all of creation, God the Father brought this situation about and God the Son exercised the will of the Father by rising from his sleep and saying this, Shut up, wind, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? So these men who were fearing the sea became more fearful after the sea was stopped after the sea was put down, after the sea was shut up by Jesus, they became even more fearful. Why? Because they realized that they were in the presence of Almighty God. And what Jesus had accomplished was unlike what any human being could ever accomplish. He proved to them that he was both divine and human at the same time. Who then is this, they asked, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Friends, nothing in creation occurs without the direct command of God. Nothing in creation happens without God being intimately aware and in control of every circumstance. And I'm sure that may bring up some other questions like, well, how come if God's in control, he's allowing this pandemic to sweep the entire world? That's a good question. But Romans chapter 9 says that we don't even have the right 
or the opportunity to ask that question because we are the clay and God is the potter and he will do with his creation what he sees fit. And as believers, it's our responsibility to give him glory, honor, praise, to magnify his name, to make him famous and to make him known. Despite the unsettling effects that his actions might have on our own lives. And it's only unsettling in this sense. I'm now uncertain about tomorrow in a way that I wasn't 10 days ago or 15 days ago. I'm now uncertain about a future when I wasn't a month ago. Why? (laughs) Why does this cause me to be uncertain? The same God that I believed in 15 days ago is still on the throne today. I think what it shows me is that even though I do trust in God, even even though my confidence is in Him, I still have a lot of trust in my bank accounts, my possessions. I still have a lot of trust in the things that I can physically see and feel. I have a lot of trust in the culture that I live in, in the socioeconomic situation that I live in. I do have a lot of trust in those things, perhaps more than I thought originally. Perhaps that's where you're at too, that you have more trust in physical things than you find to be comfortable. The situation has certainly revealed that to me, and it's been rather unsettling. But I know we can do it. I know we can live without. I know God will take care. I know that intellectually, but it's one thing to say that, and it's another thing to have to maybe face the reality of it. I admire some of our brothers and sisters who live with this reality on a regular basis. I'm sure they have questions as well. But when you come from a more impoverished day-to-day style of living, when these types of things happen, maybe it's easier to just say, well, we're, we're just going to continue trusting in God. He's, he provided for me yesterday. He will provide for me today. He will provide for me tomorrow. But from an American perspective, it's like, well, I go to the grocery store and the shelves are empty. Where, where will I get food? Or my retirement account just took a 40% loss or a 50% loss or whatever it is. How will I, how will I have money in the future? I may not be able to go back to work. There might not be a job for me in two months or three months or five months. Where will the income come from? See, these are questions that we have just not had to face in a real significant way for literally decades in our culture. We have an opportunity now to confront those questions and to provide biblical answers to those questions of life. I believe God is sovereign over his creation, and I believe that he has allowed this virus to take hold of the world for purposes that are beyond my comprehension at this present time. 
I don't know what God's ultimate purposes are for the world or for America, but I do know what one of his purposes is for me, and that's the second truth that I want to share with you today. The purpose that I find most critical for me to wrap my mind around and to really drive into my heart is this, that God's command to believers is to focus only on today, not next week, not next month, and not next year. God wants us as believers to focus on today. You know, I just referenced James chapter 1. I'm just going to take you now to James chapter 5, or James chapter 4, excuse me. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, James has this to say to the church, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, what you ought to say, instead what you ought to say is if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is right now, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Wow. If that doesn't describe the church in America, I'm not sure what does. I'm, I'm sure that there are, there are exceptions to that. But in general, the attitude of the church in America is we are setting our own destiny. We are going to live and do this, and we're going to do that, and we're going to do all kinds of things. Whatever we plan, we're just going to do it, and the Lord will bless us as we do these things. Well, clearly, the Lord has shifted many churches, even now, as a result of this virus, away from doing things that they intended to do. And they're having to redirect their focus, redirect their energies. They're having to serve their congregation and their communities in some different ways. Now, it's the same way, but it's a different method. You know, it's like a virtual learning versus uh, in-person learning. And, and I think that's really a, a minor point in the sense of, yeah, we're getting the Word of God. What I think is really happening is that a lot of Christians are being confronted with, I've just done whatever I wanted. And I've just expected God to kind of rubber stamp it. And, and I, it's like God is the boss with the rubber stamp that has approved written on it. And I just present my things to the boss and I expect him to rubber stamp my plans. And then I just go about doing what I want. And I think, I think this is a wake-up call to many of us as Christians that we cannot treat God as if he is a rubber stamp to stamp our plans. But rather that we must be really, really be thinking through, okay, what does God will? And if, the, and if there's three or four things that are allowable within God's will, what's the best? What brings him the most glory? What's challenging to me? What would result in my sanctification? 
even as a believer, it's difficult. You wrestle with the the need to provide for your family, the desire to be a good steward of what God has entrusted you with, and sometimes it's hard to know where your good stewardship crosses the line into trust and reliance upon physical things. And I think that's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said this to his disciples, do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles, that is the unbelievers, eagerly seek all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Rather, here's what we are to do as believers, seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Perhaps we live in such an easy lifestyle in America that every day does not have enough trouble, and so we worry about days in the future. Well, I can say this, that each day over the last 10 days has had enough trouble of its own from rearranging uh, my entire schedule, my family's entire schedule, to accommodate the uh, requests of the government, governing authorities, to uh, reorganizing our worship services, to learning uh, challenging new uh, technology things that I'm not really, I'm not up to date on those things. So I've had to learn those things in order to be able to help broadcast these truths out to our congregation though I haven't had it extremely hard, and I'm not sure that most Americans have had it extremely hard yet, I have faced troubles in the last few days that required my attention for that day. And I couldn't think about things in the future. It was like, okay, I just got to make this happen today. All right, the next day, I've got to make this happen. And the next day, I've got to make this happen. And it's not like they're grand struggles of life, but they are things that you're not used to doing. They're not familiar to you. So they take your concentration, they require your focus, and they kind of leave you a little bit drained at the end of the day. And I'm not the only one who's doing that. There are a lot of Americans who are doing that. There's a lot of my brothers and sisters in Christ who are doing the same thing. So, you know what? God's given us troubles for today. We've got things to deal with right now. Perhaps focusing on those things, asking God how we can glorify him through the present struggles and troubles, and seeking his kingdom, his glory in the midst of them will help keep us from having anxiety and worry over things that we cannot control in the future. You know, this is a real, real eye-opener to many of us American Christians, this is not the way that we're used to thinking about the world. We're used to thinking in terms of long-term planning, long-term financial security and stability. Having turmoil is challenging. And my prayer is that you all would encourage one another and that you would encourage your family and friends who aren't believers to 
think about now in light of eternity. You know, it's so easy to forget about eternity, but eternity is coming and, and you cannot undo whatever happens in eternity. You cannot change your destiny after you die. And this time, perhaps more than any other in recent American history, at least since 9-11, this time is a time where people will maybe stop and consider, wow, what am I really living for? Who am I pleasing? I hope that as believers, we are trying to please the Lord Jesus Christ first and foremost and that we are doing the very best that we can to be sanctified, and that in our prayer lives we are growing in Christ-likeness by asking God to show us and reveal to us the ways that we idolize and the ways that we have made parts of our culture more important than God's truth. I know he's done that for me, and I'm sure he's doing that for you. I don't want to be too political, but one well-known political figure said something to this effect in 2008 when the markets crashed. He said, never let a good crisis go to waste. And, of course, he was talking about, you know, doing political things. But think about that in the sense of a spiritual life. Never let a good crisis go to waste. This is a crisis for us. Are you going to waste your time through the crisis? Or are you going to use this time to strengthen your faith? To grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ? To become more dependent upon him and less on ourselves? I think that's a good closing thought for us. Something you could take from the secular world and bring into the spiritual world. Don't let this crisis go to waste for you. Let it be that on the other side of this pandemic, whenever that may be, you can say, I'm more godly now than I was before. Why? Because through this crisis, I've had to work on giving up control over my life. I've had to work on living day by day. I've had to improve in the areas of the fruits of the Spirit like joy, patience, gentleness, I've had to work on those things, and it's all for God's glory, all for Christ's sake that we do these things. May he be made famous, and may we be faithful servants to him. Amen. Amen.